Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 78th episode of the PJ Archive. It's an interview I did with the British singer, songwriter and musician Paul Young, who was the front man of Cat Cool and the Cool Cats, Street Band and Q-Tips, before achieving huge solo success around the world with the release of his debut album No Parley in 1983. This interview took place in London in 1990, when Paul was about to release his fourth studio album, Other Voices. How satisfied are you with it? Because it's been a hell of a long time, isn't it? Hmm. 99%. <laughs> What's the 1%? Perhaps you're not so keen on it. You can't be talking about that. Uh, no, you can just go on forever, making the mixes better and better and better. There's just a new system coming out that I've just uh, that's just blown my mind. Yeah. And it wants me... Hold the wants me to hold the album and remix the whole thing, but what's the point of putting it back another two months? You know, you've spent quite a long time on this. Is is that because you've been trying to get a certain sound or a certain achievement out of this album? Yeah, without really knowing what it is until you get there, and that's the problem. Sometimes it just takes time. I don't think anybody really knows what they're going for, or maybe they do, but even then your mind gets you change your mind as the work goes on because it goes different places. Is there any other reason why it's taken so long? Yeah, I'd had enough of the music business. So I just didn't do anything for six months. Why have you had enough? Because it's all business. You have little bits of pleasure, but it, it's, uh, it's not a normal life, is it? You don't live life on normal terms. What aspects of it didn't you enjoy? Was it being so incredibly famous? Was that the problem? Was that the problem? A little bit. It takes you away from home too much get to the point where you can't manage your own life anymore because people do it for you all the time, you know. I'd go out places and, and eat and get up and go to leave without even put, putting my hand in my pocket, you know, because when I'm on the road all the time, you go somewhere, you eat, the road manager goes off and pays for it out of the, the, the petty cash and you get up and go. So consequently, I never ever ended up doing it. I couldn't even pick up, make, make a phone call to book a flight because I wouldn't know where to ring, you know. So what changes did you decide to make then? No, I didn't really decide to do anything. I just said enough's enough. What did the record company say about that? They must have been a bit disappointed. Well, I never actually said to them enough's enough. <laughs> they kind of thought I was going to prepare for my album, you know. And I did little things, you know, but not didn't really get going until um, the middle of 88. So what was the exact date where you said enough's enough and did your own thing? Well, I mean, I was touring off the back of the third album. And I felt like I was flogging the dead horse for one. And Why? Because the album hadn't done very well. Well, it had. The, I mean, it's, it went platinum in two yeah. weeks. I mean, how can you complain? But by comparison to the others, yeah. it hadn't done as well. And uh, I didn't think I was getting any backing from the record companies abroad. The second reason is it was, you know, the same old album promotion tour, album promotion tour, never go home. Did you consider packing it in altogether? No, don't think so. Because Might have crossed my mind. The same as you say to yourself, oh, I'm going to pack this job in, you know, because it just gets a bit boring. But then if you just get away from it for a while, it's okay. So what's kept your head above water? What put you back on the, on the road again? Just forcing myself to get started and then finding out what wasn't right and by process of elimination working out what was right. Because there seemed to be a, a certain stage, I think, with yours after the second album, the sort of conflict between what the audience wanted to hear from you and what you wanted no it wasn't it was a com it, it was a confliction be be between what america wanted and what england wanted oh, right. it struck me that the the balance they liked over here particularly the, the nice slow ones 
whereas the, the hard rocky stuff didn't go down so well. Uh, it didn't go down well in terms of hits, you know, the biggest hits of were the ballads, but that's the case with anybody, you know, Elton John's biggest hits are his ballads. But you have to balance your material, you know. Okay, they don't quite sell as well, but it's still, you have to have that balance. Which do you prefer then? Which do you prefer? I do, I prefer ballads really, mm. especially if I'm in the studio. Uh, but when it comes to going out on the road, I'd miss those up-tempo tracks, you know, if they weren't there. I've read it, it's quite familiar in the press release saying that you think this is less and not only that, Softly Whispering I Love You isn't a melancholy, it's not blues at all, you know, there's nothing bad, it's a very positive song about love and romance. So it's all quite optimistic look, looking on the lyrical front. A lot of your songs are about, and have been about uh, love and romance. Is that your own choice, or is that just a coincidence that most songs are written about that subject? Yeah, most songs are written about that subject, really. I don't know enough to write about political subjects and things like that. You know, I can only go by what I feel. You know. mm. Or tomorrow I'll be working on singing some music for a, a documentary for the release of John McCarthy. Mm. But I couldn't sit here and pontificate and discuss yeah. what's been going on out there. I don't know, you know. All I, I, can, I only have basic feelings about what should be happening about somebody like that, you know. And so I'd love to help, yes, and I'll do it. But then I'm not about to start writing songs about it. How interested are you in what goes on in the outside world and stuff? Are you quite keen on reading the papers and stuff like that? Yeah, whenever I get the chance, I, I find that I don't very much, though. I get three Sunday papers and never read them. My weekends are spent with the family, and we don't sit down very much. We're always going out, so that's that. Uh, get the times, the express in the mirror. Not the news of the world, right? No, I go solo. <laughs> <laughs> With this new album, and you said that you were a bit fed up with the fact that it was an album promotion touring and that sort of thing. Are you going to do that again, though, or have you now completely... It's not planned, no. Deliberately because of the fact you got fed up with it? Yeah, life was getting too planned. Mm. It so might happen, you know. If it really, if this album looks like it's going to be... Its longevity is going to go on as long as No Parley did, then, yeah, I'll go out and tour. But if it does a big initial amount of sales and kind of drops off a bit, then maybe I won't. I've got so much material left over because this album, this album took so long because I've found enough material to make two albums. Mm -hmm. And so I've got a lot of material and I know what I want to do with it that I'm kind of chomping at the bit to do the next one. So rather than go on tour, you'll probably go back in the studio again? I might do, you know. yeah. but I have a funny feeling that this album has got the qualities that will make it a long-time seller, a steady seller, yeah, as opposed to a, an, an instant seller. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you have the same feeling about No Parley? All, we, all we ever said about that was, well, we like it, you know. I didn't know the public's taste back then, because the... Were well, you were new to the solo market? Yeah, yeah, so I couldn't tell. All I knew was that we liked it, mm. and we hoped that the other people would. When I last spoke to you, you said to me that you thought that No Parley might turn out to be a fluke. Do you still think that? Oh, yeah, because Secret of Association couldn't quite match the sales of No Parley, mm. because that had initial sales, but it didn't have the longevity. Yeah, what I meant then was that was the number one... At, well, no secret, in fact, all three were number one out. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, as far as longevity goes, I thought that was a fluke, that it lasted so long, mm -hmm. and the fact that there was something on there for everybody. The problem is if you have such a successful first album, you're going to be expected to perform all those hits again. Aren't you going to get a bit fed up with performing love with the common people, or wherever they might have No, because I think I'm lucky enough to have a, quite a, an open-minded audience. I'm thinking about reworking some of the songs. 
maybe not the biggest hits, but some of the other songs, I might rework them when I take, take them out on the road next. And I think that I have the kind of audience that will allow me that indulgence. Not remix, just rework them for stage, so that the audience can come along and hear a number a different way. When you took your rest, how do you see things changing towards you? I mean, you were right at the top of the tree at one point, and then you sort of deliberately took a back seat. How hmm. did things change for you? For about the first year, it was still the same as ever. You know, and now, now there's a whole different thing happening singles-wise, and it kind of mellowed out a little bit, and I've kind of enjoyed the last couple of years of being able to get around. It's quite dangerous for an artist to enjoy that kind of low profile, isn't it? Because it's not what sells hmm. records necessarily, is it? No, because if only for one thing, and that is CBS would have dropped me by now, mm. if, uh, if they thought there was any danger yeah. of me not selling again. Yeah. But they've been more than helpful very patient you know and not only is that a good thing because it allowed me to experiment it's also a good sign yeah. because they have obviously done their homework and they know that there's an audience out there that is still going to buy something i do even after three or four years yeah. so that told me what i wanted to know really with the new album and stuff and whether or not you do at all is there going to be a new image at all no because in my mind there's never been an image but i mean are you going to change your looks at all or you change your hair or? i don't know I'm growing it at the moment, I'll see how it looks. If uh, if I hit the heavy promotion tour and it's not looking good, then I'll have yeah. to get rid of it. But how much say do you have in that, in what you look like, or do they tell you? No, no I'm pr pretty much my own thing, really. Yeah. I always upset my manager, because I get all the photos taken and for the album and the promotional shots, mm. and then that seems to be, for some reason, the time I, f I get fed up and fancy changing. <laughs> I did that on the Q-Tips album, I'd had spiky hair for ages and I'd grown it and decided to part it for the front cover. <laughs> Never did work. Do you miss the old days with the bands, as it were? Yeah, but I struggled to recreate that whenever we went out on the road. The worst part about it is like being, is this thing of going and doing the promotion, whereby it, it makes you feel like it all hangs on you, on me, which I suppose it does. But then you don't like to admit that, do you, because you go around worrying about it all the time. You've had a couple of um, great names to your backing bands, the Fantasy Wealthy Tars and the Royal Family. Uh, Are you going to have another backing band with a great name? <laughs> um, I haven't really thought about it. It's just that the bands take on a certain character, you know, and then they get this name. And if I hope it happens again, you know, I hope I get the right kind of people. Because mm. uh, the last band I had didn't really, they weren't really under any name. But uh, it's nice when you get a band that kind of gets its own character. Because presumably the band is very important because they take away the loneliness of being a solo artist because it must mm. be quite a lonely business, mm. especially once you've been you know, leading a band. Mm. Yeah, it is, yeah. I was talking before about the, the time you took off and, and the fact that you've got the confidence to come back. Is that partly because of this, you know there's a tremendous strength in your voice? No. No, because I'm always wishing I could, it could be better, you know. You want it to be able to do everything everybody else can do, but of course it can't. Yeah. I'd love to be able to trill it like Bob Marley did. I'd love to have the kind of vocal expression of Sam Cooke and Marvin Gaye with the perfect mid-range with a slight rough top end. And I've got a little bit of that, but not as much as I'd like. You know, some people can really move their voices very quickly, like James Ingram, you know, and people like that I'd like to be able to do that. But of course your voice isn't, it's one particular sound. It's just, I hear, there's so many other qualities in other people's voices that I, I like, but you can't have more. But I will forever want them. How do you describe your voice? I think it's a rich, warm voice. 
that gives it a certain amount of expression that oddly enough comes from blues even though it's not really blues. Do you like the sound of it? Sometimes. And then when I want to do a certain type of song and sing it in a certain way, you know, like I wish I was such and such a body doing this song, and then because it never sounds like them, so that is a slight disappointment. But it always comes out a different way, and that's what you do. You you try and do one thing, but you end up achieving another. But it gets full full uh, range on this new album. Yeah, which is what I'm pleased about. You know, there's some up tempo songs which really exploit the top range. There's some really ballsy ones. You know, then you've got some ones like the single, which is very mid range, occasionally going into high. Do you take um, a tremendous care of your voice? Um, Quite careful, like an opera star on this. Yeah, I have to be. You know, I, I really get fed up with these rumours uh, that are fuelled by the papers that there's always something wrong with it. You know, because mm-hmm. yeah, that's one thing people say to me four, five years later since I had a problem. Is your voice all right now? Yeah. You know, and, and the last time it went wrong was when I had to cancel the Elton John Summer Festival of '84 or five, and it seems strange people go on about it. And that was just one operation that you had. No, the operation came later, but that wasn't a vocal operation, that was a sinus operation, you see. But people, they just lump it into one category, voice, and say his voice has gone wrong. Um, But I do have to be careful because it's not a rock voice. It's not... You go to any singing teacher, they'll say voices come in grades, and a rock voice can be given a certain amount of stick, you know. When it comes to quality of sound, it might not all be there, but it's got a lot of attack and a lot of brightness, and it really suits rock music. And then at the other end of the scale, you've got opera singers, which have very delicate voices, you know, with a lot of tone. And then you get an in-between voice, which is where I'm somewhere in the in-between, where it's got quite a nice tone to it. But if you push it too hard all the time, it, 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 sort of, it tells you it doesn't like it. And so I'm in there, you know. So basically, when I'm on the road, I have to run a good kind of schedule whereby I do like three dates and then a day off, you know, and make sure there's not too much travel and yakking in between. Uh, is your voice insured at all? Probably. I couldn't tell you how much for or anything. Mm. It's probably insured when I go on tour, mm. something like that, so that if we cancel, mm. you know. In fact, it's not so much a voice insurance as a health insurance. When did you first realise you had a special voice? Or when did you start singing? Were you sort of one of those kids who sang in the bar? No, I was a bass player in a band, but only by default. I wanted to be the singer in the band, but they'd already got one. Me and one of these children who in the mirror. No, but I did everything else. But you know, I went. To, I was always in church choirs because I quite enjoyed it. I never used to mime in front of mirrors because that wasn't the point. The thing was to try and copy the singers that I liked. So I'd listen to records, yeah, and I'd um, I'd try and get the phrasing together. Did you always think I will be a lead singer one day? Or I suppose so, without any determination. Well, I don't know, Capricorn determination, which is not at the forefront of my mind. But yeah, it's what I want to do, and eventually I'll do it. Who was your inspiration? Paul Rogers was my first right. inspiration. Yeah. I copied his phrasing everyone, so much. As soon as you made it with those parlay, I was comparing his well, which must have been... Yeah, that was a funny one. I love early Elvis. Was singing in your family at all? No. That's why I think, you know, my family haven't come from entertainment at all. You get a lot of people in the business who, whose families have been in the entertainment business and you can practically tell, you know, that... I suppose that's why fame doesn't sit too comfortably with me, because I've never been in those, not even in the fringes of entertainment. But no. it's almost better for you, than, I mean, just Probably so. You haven't really changed a bit, have you? No, you get carried away with the bit in, uh, at the height of it, you know. 
because you believe that nothing can go wrong. Mm. So know. do you have some fanatical fans? Or? First date of the first tour I did, they nearly rocked the van over. That was when we decided to go by coach instead of minibus. Because <laughs> they can't rock that one over. And then, you know, a few years in, when you start to travel abroad a bit, not saying there's no weirdos here, but you get to meet some weirdos. You know, I've had a few of those. You know, I think you're the son of Jesus Christ and I want to meet you. I'm downstairs in reception. You go, oh God, what does he look like, you know? And uh, you get a few of those. How big a family did you come from? I mean, have you got brothers and sisters? Yeah, I'm in the middle. Uh, yeah, I've got an elder brother, Mark, and a younger sister, Joanne. And how did they take to your success and fame? My sister only realised I was famous when about four years after my first hit record, I had a, my photo in the paper with David Bowie and Tina Turner. Then it took her four years to realise I was famous. Couldn't quite get to grips with it. And now they've accepted it, and now everything's back to normal. You know, like, right, he's famous, you know. Do you still get excited about seeing people like David Bowie and Tina Turner? Yeah, I get a bit of a thrill out of it, you know. I don't get my expectations up because you always might be disappointed. But there's probably... There's a couple of people that it's really impressed me when they've said they know my stuff and like it. And one of them was Gregory Hines, who I'd never thought of bumping into. So it was a complete surprise when I bumped into him. And an even bigger surprise when he said, oh, I really like your stuff. You know. And the other one was Chaka Khan when she started singing all my songs back yeah. to me. She's you know. helped you on this album. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. And, you know, I never thought that she would really particularly be into my stuff, but she got such a wide taste in music she listens to everything you know and i really find that amazing that their horizons are completely open when it comes to music you know anything do you still find it hard to believe that you are this great star no i choose to ignore it i think and let it go on around me yeah your parents what are they involved in uh, they're both near retiring age well my mum's retired my dad's near Re re retiring age. He's been working at Vauxhall Motors for, oh no he's not now, no. He took vo voluntary retirement, went out and started a new job two weeks later. What about your mum? Has she, she been working as well? Or? Yeah, she worked. For, she went back to work about you know, 10, 15 years ago, once we were all mostly grown up, and uh, started work at Eastern Gas, <laughs> and uh, she did that, and then she retired a little while ago. Uh, my dad's still hard at it, you know, make adding extensions to the house and all sorts. Yeah, I think it's great. Are you not one of these rock stars that wants to buy great things for their parents, buy a great palace for their parents? No, because then they get out of place in it, don't they? You take them away from everything they've that's associated with their normal life. Do you worry about that for your child as well, for your daughter? Yes, a little bit. It doesn't worry me too much because she will grow up in the periphery of of the entertainment business which isn't so bad as being right in the middle of it you know because I have a lot of friends both inside and outside the business do you think that's what keeps your feet on the ground uh, yeah pro probably so yeah. yeah so how, how old is, your, is Levi now three what is family life like as it's for you yeah it's great it takes ages to sort out how you're going to do everything because yeah. because my it's not a nine to five job yeah. and it and so you just have to try and do as much as you can, you know, like it's not good for me that I'm going to get back late this evening and miss her before she goes to bed. But, you know, then you have to try and make up for it on other days. Are you planning to have a large family? Not massive, no. Do you find it easy to keep a, a, a private, private life? Or? We'll see. 
after the, after this album's come out. But at the moment, it's no problem at all. There was a stage when you were getting a lot of press, you know, to do relationships, whatever. Did that have any effect on you? Yeah, that was part of the reason why I decided to come home. You don't think that you have to keep a control on your family life. You think it just exists, mm. but it doesn't. It falls to pieces when you're away so long. How normal a family life can you lead, or do you lead? Very normal at the moment. But I had, like I say, when we started the interview, I had to come back and learn how to be normal again, you know, and fit into everyday life. What kind of parents are you to Levi? You're quite strict. Yeah, although not too strict, because I want her to have a strong personality. She's going to have to have a strong pers personality to cope with what's going on around us. So... Uh, we play with her quite hard, you know, like really, she loves to get excited about things and it's nice to see somebody who's really, who gets excited about things and she's bright and seems quite articulate for her age and I'm hoping that we can channel that into learning, you know, now she's at school. How much difference did she make to your life though? Because I mean often when people have children, they sort of, sort of their whole perspective on life changes. Yeah, but gradually, because like I say, I was away so often and when she was born, I was in New York and I just had to get on a plane and then go back again and carry on. And so I, I could only start to come to terms with it when I got home. She was already nearly three months old. And then gradually it changed my life. But the lucky thing is, it's unlucky in one respect that the album took so long because it, it's quite depressing for the ups and downs of almost getting it and then going, not quite right. But the good thing about it was that for the first three years of her life I've been around almost every day. I took them with me when I went to America to record there. And now she's starting school, I'm starting to get out and do and work, work this album. So timing-wise, it's been perfect, because I've been with her for all the time she's been at home. Do you think she had any idea of what kind of work you're involved in? A little bit, yeah. But it doesn't really concern her. She's not that interested. Does she see you on the telly and start getting very excited on no, she's not interested at all. Right. She hasn't seen me on telly, but we showed her a video just to see if she was interested. But 30 second attention span, and that was it. <laughs> but uh, I was speaking to Rod Stewart the other day, and he said, yeah, but wait until she's about four, and she sees you in concert for the first time, and you'll, you'll be the light in her eyes. And, you know, it's a nice thing to... I'm looking forward to that. Does she sing at all? She's just started incessant singing, and she makes things up and they rhyme. <laughs> That's pretty good going, actually. What sort of things is she singing? Little nursery rhymes. Yeah, they kind of they don't make they're kind of nonsensey as far as the sentence goes, but quite uh, two or three times she's sung something, and you know odd rhymes with job and things like that, and it's quite strange how she can do it. And I heard it was a house called the White House, is that right? And then you bought a couple of dogs called Ronnie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're Pop. boxers. So I mean, Pop. he really looks like Ronnie Reagan. <laughs> Have you got any other pets or anything around the house which you... Yeah, we had two rabbits for Levi, but one of them killed the other one. Oh, no. Yeah, we had to explain that away to her, so she thinks that he's dancing with the sun. Is yeah. <laughs> that one of your new albums or something? It should be, yeah. <laughs> no, it should be the new Sting album. What kind of ambitions do you have now, and have they changed a great deal since maybe you started as a solo artist in '83? Ambitions? I never have had any massive ambitions. I've always been quite scared of being like getting to Bruce Springsteen's stature. I'm quite happy to be where I was last time because I think that gives you much more longevity. And I still feel the same way. I mean, Robert Palmer's had a great life, hasn't he? Without too many interruptions. I probably have had 
No, I haven't had more hits than him. You know, he's had as many as me, but it's just profile-wise, it's been a little bit lower for him, and that's helped, you know. A lot of rock stars are going into acting and things like that. Would that ever tempt you? No, it hasn't. I might appear in something for a giggle, but I don't think I would ever take it seriously. He says. Mm. <laughs> well, you do a comedy if you do anything. No, but just appear in something where the part I play, something like, was that him? It was over so quick. Mm. Or a cameo appearance. Mm. Or something that's so totally opposed to how people see me. Mm. Like Huey Lewis did that school teacher bit in Back to the Future, oh, yeah. didn't he? It was only on for a little while, but it was quite amusing. Yeah. You know, and that kind of thing is good for a laugh, you know, especially if you've been involved in the film. Are you into anything outside of the music industry which you're trying to pursue as well? I've just started to tinker about with bikes. Motorbikes? Yeah. Right. I only learnt to ride a couple of years ago. Right. I'm quite glad I did, actually, yeah. because I probably wouldn't be around now. I decided a couple of years ago to learn to ride a bike with the sole reason of getting a Harley Davidson. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like any of the other bikes. And I actually... Obviously, I couldn't start on a Harley because the engine size don't go small enough, so I did have another bike first. It wasn't right. I didn't like it, you know, and I was only waiting until I could pass my test to get a Harley. So a lot of people say, oh, it's quite irresponsible as a father to be... Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, if you don't do that, what else are you going to do, you yeah. know? You're quite a risk-taker, though. Always been. In some ways, yeah. Always said I'd like to do a parachute jump. My manager learned to fly a couple of years ago, fly a plane. And it didn't interest me at the time, but it does now. And if I didn't do that, what I said, I said we should join forces and you should learn to fly the plane and I should learn to navigate a boat. And that's something I'd like to, like to do. So we can command the air and the sea be between us. <laughs> what about plans and what are your exact plans now? Because the album comes out mm. this month. A heavy promotion schedule for the next two, three months that I can see. Isn't that exactly what you don't want to do then? Yeah, I hate promotion. Yeah. But you can achieve so much more these days by doing promotion, mm. by me going around interviewing, doing TV shows. You just get across to a wider audience. Mm. The only reason now to go on the road is a thank you to everybody that bought the record. I don't really see it as a promotion, a promotional item at all, because you know by the time you've added up all the people you've played to, it ain't that many until you hit the stadium circuit, you know. Do you like being on stage? Uh, yeah, I love it. 